Thank you guys so much. This morning, we're going to continue the series on the gifts that God has given us. And I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. I'll be reading verses 16 and 17, and they're going to be on the overhead, I hope. And, um, and also Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Okay? Maybe not, but uh, please turn in your Bible, okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can open your word again. Oh God, it is truly a light into our path. Father, help us to understand more about you when this service is over than we did before it got started. Father, thank you that we can come together as a body of believers and, Lord, we can, we can read and study your word. Thank you, Lord, for those that are here that might not yet be Christians yet. And, Lord, that's not a judgmental statement. As you know my heart, that it's a statement of, of praying for them that, Lord, as we talk about the work of the Spirit of God, that they would sense that your Spirit is trying to lead them to trust your Son as their personal Savior. But, Father, today, when we conclude this service, may we all be able to say, it was good to have been in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 14, verses 16 and 17. You know this chapter of Scripture well. Jesus is getting ready to depart from his disciples. He talks about going to prepare a place for them and that he's going to come again. But then Jesus talks about the time between his leaving and his coming again. And listen to these two very important verses. Jesus says, and I will pray the Father. Folks, this is Jesus' prayer. The choir just sang, somebody prayed for me. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed for you and me and for generations of Christians and for churches. Listen to what he says. I will pray the Father and he will give you another counselor. In the King James Version, it's translated comforter. He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be, read those last two words, in you. The spirit of God will dwell with us and the spirit of God will be in us. And I'm not asking you to agree with me this morning in everything I'm saying, but I'm asking you to believe what the Lord Jesus Christ said. That when he left until he came again, that God the Father was going to send the Holy Spirit. And folks, the Holy Spirit is a gift from God to us. And let me read to you Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Let me give you the background. This is the day of Pentecost. Peter has preached The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he died on the cross to save lost mankind. At the end of that message that Peter preaches, under the influence and power of the Spirit of God, the people asked, what should we do? And this is how Peter responds. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And listen to the last phrase. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Two weeks ago, we began this study, and I ask you this question, and I'm going to be very quick in this. When you think of the Holy Spirit of God, what immediately comes to your mind? 
Number one, probably something that I cannot and will not understand. Therefore, I'm not going to pursue any knowledge of what the Holy Spirit is all about. Secondly, so often when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we speak, we think of religious fanaticism, of people expressing religious zeal in many and varied ways. Also, many times when the Holy Spirit is mentioned, we think that it's only for church leaders and leadership, but not for the common herd like you and me. And another reaction, I believe, is that we feel we don't need the Holy Spirit in us. And folks, I want to tell you something. If you're a born-again believer, you are in a constant battle with sin and with Satan and with the world. And the Spirit of God gives us victory over all of these. That's why John writes in 1 John 4, 4, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, let me read that again. He who is in you, who is in us, to give us the victory. It is the Holy Spirit of God, as Jesus promised in John fourteen seventeen. God the Father, Jesus the Son, provides the Holy Spirit for each of us as believers. God came to earth in the person of his Son. Then Jesus, as he was getting ready to depart the world, promised these 11 disciples and every believer that after he left, he would pray the Father, and the Father would give them another comforter or counselor to be with them. And folks, if you got your Bible open to John 14, the verse that I did not read, John 14, verse 18, says this. And I missed the gifts, but keep that's good. Thank you, sir. Jesus said, I will not leave you desolate. In the, um, the New International Version, the word orphan is used. I think in the New King James, too. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Folks, God does not abandon us. Jesus, when he left, promised that now that he would be gone, that God would send his very own spirit to be with them forever. Folks, as we think about the Holy Spirit, let me point some things out. The Holy Spirit comes to you and I and answer to the prayer of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, verse 16, I will pray the Father. Secondly, the Holy Spirit is a gift from God to the believer. Now, especially at Christmas time, and we've already talked about it, Jesus is a gift from God to the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus is the Father's gift to you and I to be our Savior. But the Holy Spirit also is a gift from God. Jesus again, verse 16 of John 14, I will pray the Father and he will give you. And folks, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit, let me back up. During Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus had guided and guarded and taught his disciples, but now that he was getting ready to leave them, God would send the Spirit of Truth. And that's the second name, and we're going to mention this, two names Jesus gives the Holy Spirit in these two verses in John 14, the Comforter, our Counselor, and the Spirit of Truth. God would send his Spirit to dwell in them. 
Folks, do you and I understand that if we believe everything that Jesus says, then we must believe that God's Holy Spirit dwells in us. This is what he says. And folks, listen to the two names that, that, well, first of all, Jesus called the Spirit another counselor. And the Greek word another here means another of the same kind. Last, two weeks ago, we talked about how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are one. You remember that? And you remember we quoted out of John 10:30, where Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And we could also say, and, and the words are laid out in Matthew 28, 19, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are the same. And, and again, I'm not trying to be confusing. And let me give you two verses of Scripture, okay? Matthew 28:19, the last words that Jesus says to his disciples according to Matthew's Gospel. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus declares the Trinity, that God is three in one. The Apostle Paul also declares this in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Listen to this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Folks, all three are mentioned, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit. There's biblical evidence that God is three in one. And now God's Spirit, after Jesus left, has come to dwell not only in those disciples, but in you and I. And Jesus gives two names for the Holy Spirit here in these verses, and I'll quickly mention them. First of all, the Comforter or the Counselor. And the Greek word means called alongside to assist. The Spirit of God has been sent to you and I to assist us in our day-to-day living. And, and folks, there's something I love as I think about the Holy Spirit. Number one, Jesus says he's going to dwell with you and be where? In you. The Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in our being, in our soul as Christians. And I'm going to say this again in just a minute. But there's, there's a lot of things that I believe the Holy Spirit does. He walks along beside us and holds our hand. And folks, I'd never thought about this until I read this. That the Holy Spirit has been sent not simply to work instead of us or in spite of us, but the Holy Spirit works in us and through us. And folks, one thing that the the word here comforter means is to give strength. When we think of someone who is a comforter, we think of someone who soothes us and consoles us. But the comforter strengthens us to face life bravely and to keep on going. And folks, I want to tell you, that's one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit. He keeps us going. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I believe the Holy Spirit has to get behind me and push me because I get awful scared some days. But the Holy Spirit does that. And there's something else that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit in verse 17 of John 14. He says he is the Spirit of truth. Now think about this for just a second. In verse 6 of John 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I've never looked at it this way before, but if Jesus is the truth, then the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And so the Holy Spirit is going to lead you and I to understand what is false and what is real. The Holy Spirit does not lie. He is not associated with lies. In fact, let me tell you why this is so important. 
There's a lot of doubt about this being the Word of God. But folks, the Word says that the Spirit of God is the author of this book. Let me give you two references, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. And in one way that that could be translated is God breathed. God breathed into the authors of Scripture His Word. How did He do that? Through the Holy Spirit. And let me give you another verse. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And you see, in, in Paul and Peter's day, the only thing they had at that time was the Old Testament. Their writings had not been acknowledged as Scripture. And listen to what Peter says about the Old Testament. Because no prophecy ever came by the impulse of man, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Folks, listen. What you and I have in the Word of God is from the Spirit of God. And it is truth. And folks, if you and I want the Holy Spirit to work in us, we must seek to let God's Word fill us. And as God's Word begins to fill us, we'll begin to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, you might not think this is important, but I think it is. We must, we must believe that this is the Word from God, and God spoke through these men through His Spirit. And folks, listen to this out of John 16, verses 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes. Now listen, what is Jesus called? The Holy Spirit in verse 17 of chapter 14. The Spirit of truth. So Jesus is talking again about the Holy Spirit's coming. Listen to this. When the Holy Spirit comes. And I want to point something out. In these two verses, seven different times, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as He. And what I want to emphasize is not... The Holy Spirit being male, that's not what I'm talking about. But the Holy Spirit is a real and living part of God. Listen to this. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it unto you. Now folks, think about this for just a second. The Holy Spirit is real. He is a part of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit dwells within you and I. And listen to what Jesus says the Spirit of God is going to do for you and I as believers. He will guide us. He will speak to us. He will declare the things of God to us. And in all that He does, He will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. I I promise you, I have prayed so much about these messages. Not... I'm, I'm not saying I'm the best communicator in the world. What I want you to hear is the Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking these things. This is what he is teaching. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, and I know I've said this before, and I'm going to repeat myself. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will take up residence in the believer. And again, back to John 14:17, he will dwell with you and be in you. And folks, I want you to understand, the Spirit of God had been on the earth before in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament had empowered men and women to accomplish God's work. That's what we read in 2 Peter, correct? And in 2 Timothy, that God's Spirit had spoken to and through men. But folks, in the Old Testament age, the Spirit of God would come upon men and then leave them. 
And let me give you an example of this. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, and I think this is one of the saddest scriptures in the Old Testament. Saul had become the king of Israel. Saul was the anointed of God. Saul had been blessed by God. God had used him to win many victories, but then in his pride he wanted to build a name for himself. And listen to what happens. But the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. Instead, the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Listen to 1 Samuel 18:12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was not with him, but had departed from Saul. And listen to David's prayer in Psalm 51, verse 11. As he is repenting of his many sins, he says, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now, why did I read those verses and make this point? Folks, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon men, but if they were disobedient, the Spirit of God would leave them. But Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would what? Take up residence in you and me. And this is a whole other different sermon, folks, but you and I realize the presence of the Holy Spirit is one of the guarantees that you and I are born-again believers. The Holy Spirit, if you and I are Christians, the Holy Spirit is not going to leave us. Jesus promises that He will be in us and with us. But here's something we need to hear as Christians, and please, please, hear these very simple points. The New Testament tells you and I as believers that we can grieve the Spirit of God. In Ephesians 4.30, listen to what it says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, folks, that's pretty plain English, isn't it? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let me just again pause for just a second. The Spirit of God has been placed in us until we go to meet Jesus Christ. This is what this verse says. He does not desert us or forsake us, even though, yes, we're sinners. But Paul says, do not grieve the Spirit of God. Folks, the Holy Spirit lives within us, but when our hearts are filled with any type of sin, the Holy Spirit grieves. But God is not going to abandon us or going to leave us like He did Saul in the Old Testament because He has sealed us until that day when Christ comes to take us home to heaven. And I hope you're not saying, well, that's good. I'm just going to go out and do whatever I want to. Folks, don't grieve the Spirit of God. But yet some of us are grieving the Spirit of God because He has pointed out what we should or should not do, what we should be doing and as an act of God's commission to us. Let me, let me move to the next one. Not only we're not to grieve the Spirit of God, we're not to quench the Spirit. Listen to this, 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the Spirit. What does this mean? And folks, this is all, was all new to me. In the New Testament, as well as in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is symbolized by fire. By fire. Let me give you two references, okay? Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And this is John the Baptist speaking. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? With fire. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, listen to this. 
When the day of Pentecost had come and they were all together in one place and suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributed and resting on each of them. Folks, do you see the symbolism? The Holy Spirit is symbolized or spoken of as fire. What does fire do? Fire speaks of purity, of power, of light, of warmth, of destruction, of sin in our lives. And folks, when the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and in our churches, there is a warmth of love, there is light for our minds, there is energy for our wills, and the Holy Spirit purifies us so that we put away our sins. Let me read one piece of a verse in Romans 12. Verse 11. Listen to this. Be aglow with the Spirit. Be aglow with the Spirit. Folks, when Jesus comes into our hearts, He sends the Holy Spirit within us to set us on fire for His kingdom's work. How often have you heard someone described as being on fire for the Lord? Well, let me ask you that. Are people describing you and me and our church in that way now? Have we quenched God's fire? Have we put it out? And you know, some of the ways we do that is by not acknowledging, acknowledging that when we got saved, God put His Holy Spirit's fire within our heart. I love the way Living Bible translates Romans 12:11. It says, "Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically." Let me ask you and I a question. Have we experienced this in our walk with the Lord? We got saved, we got fired up, we got stirred up, but then we allowed sin and Satan and our wills and our spiritual laziness to quench the Spirit of God. God wants us on fire for Him. Do we need to have the embers of our soul fanned and fired up again? Probably for, if not all, most of us, the answer to that is yes. Well, how can we do that? Give me just a couple more minutes and I'm finished, okay? How can we do that? Listen to Ephesians 5:18. But be filled with the Spirit of God. You know what Paul has been talking about in Ephesians 5? He's been talking about living for the Lord. And he says, the other part of that verse, do not get drunk with wine. And he's not just talking about alcoholic beverages. But he's saying, don't let any outside worldly influence stop you and I from being filled with the Spirit of God. And folks, this is a command. Be filled with the Spirit of God. But what does it mean? Listen very closely what I think this is meaning. Jesus promises that when you and I are born again, when we're saved, the Holy Spirit is sent to take up residence in our heart. And according to Ephesians 4.30 that we've read earlier, we're sealed for the day of redemption. God's going to be with us forever. God promises all of this through His Son. But you and I as Christians are commanded to be filled constantly with the Holy Spirit of God. And I hope if you don't hear anything else this morning, you will hear this. And this is a quote out of the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Each Christian has all the Spirit, 
But the command here is that the Spirit have all of the Christian. May I read that again? Because I want you and I to understand something. Every one of us can be given the same amount of the Spirit of God. But we determine how much the Spirit of God is going to be in control of us. Each Christian has all the Spirit, but the command here is that the Spirit have all of the Christian. Has the Spirit of God got total and complete control of you and me and of our church? And this is where the problem comes in. Folks, let me show you two examples of Scripture of when the Spirit fills us and controls us. And I'll do this quickly, okay? The first example is the following verses, Ephesians 5, 19 through 21. Let me read these to you, okay? Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, always and for everything, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you'll go back. Thank you, sir. If you'll go back. If you go back. Now, There's four things that are mentioned here, and I want to mention these four things. Verse 19, addressing one another to psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, worship together, strengthening each other. You know, as you and I come together on a week-to-week basis, and thank you for your faithfulness in coming. But folks, God ought to be doing something in us as we gather together as a body of believers. He wants to fill us with his presence and with his spirit. Amen. Secondly, in verse 19, making melody to the Lord with all your heart, genuine worship of God. Are we singing from our hearts this morning? Has God heard anything from you and me that honors him and worships him through what we've just experienced? Listen, thirdly, always and for everything, giving thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Only. This is why I wanted to ask you for a couple more minutes. I want to share something that happened to me this week. And I hope you don't think I make up these stories because I don't. This Thursday, and I'm going to call the lady's name to verify, Wednesday night, one of our church folks told me about a lady that I knew that was in the annex or the extended care unit at Roxborough Hospital. I don't know if you've been there lately, but most of the time it's basically a nursing center setting. The lady's name is Maggie Lester, and I've known her for years. She used to sit with Thomas Clayton, a very fine lady. I knew that that lady had gone through some awful, awful times. She's now 90 years old. She's been very sick. She's been in the hospital. Then they transferred her from the med surge unit over to the extended care because she needed to stay at least another three weeks to get new strength built up. I knew some of her past that her husband had already died. You might not remember this, but uh, years ago uh, there was a couple of men that broke into somebody's house and pistol whipped the husband, almost killed him. It was her husband. I knew that she had had some trying times, but as I went in and started talking to her, she said some things that absolutely startled me. She was talking about God's faithfulness and his goodness. And this is what she said, and I promise you, I tried to write this down as close as I could remember. She looked at me and she said, I thank God for the pain I'm in. But she didn't stop there. 
She said, I thank him for the pain he has spared me from. And I thank him for the pain he will send my way. And folks, I don't know about you, I don't like pain. Do you hear what she's saying? She is saying that in everything, I'm going to give thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. And folks, I think about my own life. I think about the the world that we're living in. Everybody is griping and complaining and moaning and groaning. And we are some of the most blessed people that has ever walked on this planet. And we who are the children of God, we are so blessed. And as that old song goes, our future is so bright, we're going to have to wear sunglasses. That's a rock and roll song, by the way. (laughs) Folks, do you notice what Paul is saying? Here's some examples of being filled with the Spirit of God. There's... There's worship together, strengthening each other. There's genuine worship of God. There's thankfulness to God. And then Paul says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a willingness among the people of God to serve one another rather than to exalt ourselves, especially in the home and in marriage. Folks, when we talk about the Holy Spirit filling us, we're talking about living like the Lord Jesus Christ on a day-to-day basis. And let me tell you something, it's possible. Not because we're a member of Teresa Baptist Church, not because we've come to the worship service, but because the Spirit of God lives in us. He is here. He's in us. And you know why He is? Because Jesus prayed and said, Father, send your Spirit to live in not only these 11 men, but everyone who will follow me. In my churches. Folks, you know, I believe one of the biggest obstacles is for you and I to be persuaded that the Holy Spirit is real and that He does live in us. Folks, if you don't believe me, believe what Jesus said. He is here, folks. He's in my heart and your heart, but is He in control? He's in this church, but is He in control? May God help it to be true of me and you and of our church. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the journey of faith. Thank you that you're always trying to teach us something, Lord. Lord, many of these things we've heard over the years, but yet we've struggled to make them a reality in our life. Father, I pray now that we would understand that the Holy Spirit's presence in our heart and in our lives is your gift to us. That as believers, there's something that we receive. It's part of the plan. It's part of the salvation plan that not only that our sin would be washed away and our names would be written in heaven and that your Son would prepare a place for us, but until we meet Him, Your Holy Spirit's going to live in us, sometimes holding our hand, walking beside us, sometimes behind us, pushing us forward, sometimes standing in front of us, stopping us from making sinful choices that will hurt our fellowship with you and our witness for you. 
God, today I pray that your son's word would be what we hear. And thank you for answering your son's prayer and sending your spirit, Lord, to dwell in us. And Lord, perhaps we have grieved the spirit and perhaps we have quenched the spirit. God, we pray that you'll fan the fires again. And we ask, Lord, that we would be filled with your spirit. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen.